Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 14. And before we get into the text, um, I want to talk to you just for just a couple brief moments about my Sunday school days. So how many of you guys went to Sunday school back in the day? Come on. Man, we got to get some Sunday school back. Amen. Woo. But that means we'll have to be here around 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Is there still a lot of cheers for that one? Right? <laughs> so do you guys remember that green velvet board that Sunday school teachers used to teach with? I know my parents are right there in the third row. They remember that. But I was, I was taught in Sunday school. And we were taught all the amazing, profound, prolific stories, David and Goliath, Sarah and Abraham, and we're also taught about the life of Samson. We're going to be talking about Samson. And when I remember going back into my earlier years, seven, eight, nine, ten, that green velvet board, they put on the big, they put on the pictures that kind of helped you see with imagery the story that was taking place historically, but also in the now. So young, young people could look at the green velvet board and see the story that was taking place as a Sunday school teacher was teaching. And I remember Samson was big and he was buff, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Ronnie Coleman. And that's what I thought for years he looked like, but that just doesn't sound like God. Just doesn't sound like God. And, you know, when we think about something like this, how many of you guys have heard that God will not put too much on you that you can bear? Anybody ever heard that? That's not biblical. God will absolutely... Put more on you than you can bear because that's where the grace and the power of Jesus comes in. Because this is the thing. You can't do it by yourself. And if you can, it's not God's dream or vision for your life. It's your own. So I'm thinking maybe we, we think in the church, you can put up that first slide that Samson looked like Captain America. There you go. Look like that guy, right? But in reality, I think he probably looked like this guy. Slide two. There he is. Okay, so let's make it a little bit more contextual this morning. We think it looked like maybe, same name, Steve Rogers, okay, Samson, but I think he actually looked like this. Come on! <laughs> I think he was small, and I think he was little, but I think he was anointed by God, right? So let's look at Judges chapter 14. And we're going to read a couple of verses this morning. You guys feeling good? Good. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. First mistake, he went to look for a foreign wife. And this is not a racial and ethical issue here. That's all good. This was a unequally yoked issue. So he went up and told his father and mother saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. That's not a way to talk to your daddy, first of all. This guy had some issues. Then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters 
of your brothers or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the Philistines. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. If I was going to pick one text that encapsulates the story of Samson's life, that pegs his character, it would be text verse 3, for she pleases me well. Samson did what always pleased him. Samson had a problem with women. And he had a problem with women because he had a problem with himself. He couldn't get past his own carnal desires, so he's looking for a foreign wife. So in verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. If you look at this text, it almost looks like this was God's will. No, this wasn't exactly God's will. This was God was going to use this situation for the glory of God. It was never God's will for the people of Israel to intermarry or to be mixed with foreign people. But this text is saying that even though Samson had a carnal attitude, God said, it's all good. I'm going to use it because I'm going to make him a deliverer. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. King James says, kid, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. After some time when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also did eat. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. This looks like a normal story until you look at the previous chapter, chapter 13, and it tells the miraculous story of Samson's birth. See, Samson's life was parallel to the life of Israel. See, the nation of Israel had a supernatural beginning. It had a supernatural beginning because Sarah, a woman that was barren, would literally bear the children of Israel or the child of Israel named Isaac that would bear the 12 tribes through Jacob four generations later. So when we look at the life of Samson, he mirrored the life of the nation of Israel. See, Samson had a problem with what pleased him. The nation of Israel had a problem with idols. See, Samson had a problem with women. The nation of Israel had a problem with foreign gods. So when you look at the life of Samson, you can overlay the life of Israel or the story of Israel, and you can see some inner working pieces of truth in both the narratives. And when you look at this, and when you look at chapter 14, you're like, okay, Okay, well, he's just going through a vineyard, okay, and he's taking some honey out of a carcass of a lion. But see, you have to understand that there were compromises from his very beginning. See, Samson was what we call a Nazarite. Everyone say Nazarite. You can read about the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6. And see, the Nazarite vow consisted of three main things. 
The first one was, is you had to let your hair grow, meaning you had to let your hair grow because it was an outward display of the glory of God, or it was an outward display of how you carry yourself as a man under covenant. So if we were going to modernize this, it's God's not into you having long hair or short hair. God's in into how you carry yourself as a child of God. God's into how you carry yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ living in the world but not of the world. You feel me? It's a believer's story before the unbelievers. And the second thing is he couldn't, literally the Hebrew says, he couldn't touch or go near the vine. There should be a red flag that goes up about right now because, see, he was traveling through a vineyard to the land of Timnah to go get a Philistine wife. Why was he in a vineyard in the first place when he was a Nazarite? So the first thing, he couldn't cut his hair. The second thing, he couldn't go near the vine or put anything consisting of wine in his body. So if we were going to modernize it, it's also a child of God. You have, to, you have to be watchful and cautious of what you put in your body. Uh-oh. And we're so, we're, we're so, listen, we're, we're so, we're so easy and we're so like sudden and, and we instantaneously pick on the drug addict, but what about the person caught up in gluttony? It's an addiction too, and both will kill you. Okay, move, moving on, moving on. Number three, he couldn't go around or touch the dead thing. So number one, he couldn't cut his hair. Number two, he couldn't touch the vine or go near the vine. And number three, he couldn't go near or touch the dead thing. So you should see a problem here. You should see a problem here. It's because Samson it was going through a vineyard to the nation of Philistine to Timnah to find a foreign wife. But you see something interesting in the life of Samson. In these three chapters that make up his story, you see the power of God coming upon him. And see, this messes with me as a student of Scripture. It's how the power and the presence of God would always come upon Samson's life even when he was in disobedience. But I figured something out about God. Watch this. Number one is even if God uses you, it doesn't mean that you're right with him. Uh-oh. You can be an amazing evangelist in prison. And you can be a brilliant salesman selling cars outside of the will of God. The anointing and the calling of God are without repentance. The gifts and callings of God are going to stay with you for life. And see, in the New Testament, we think that we're going to lose them. No, we're not. We can still use them for the enemy. So watch this. Go, let me just show you something. Just, just let me show you one thing. Matthew chapter 7. I want to show you this and we're going to get back on track. Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verse 21 and 22. Real quick, we're going to do a drive-by right here. 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know what that scripture is saying? God is saying, hey, listen, because you use me, I'm going to use you. 
God is saying, because you're using me for my gifts and you're using me for my power, I'm also going to use you to get my will accomplished in this earth. This should absolutely terrorize us because wouldn't it be interesting is if we were working for God and we had already been fired. God is the only employer that will allow you to work for him even after you've been fired. Power's still there, anointing's still there, but you're doing it behind the enemy camp. Back to the life of Samson. That was his issue. The power and the presence of God were with him to save the nation of Israel. But do not look at his life and say, oh, because he had character, the power of God was there. No, he was in grotesque immorality and the power of God was still present in his life. So if God uses you, don't think because God's using you, you're right with him. I'm going to be vulnerable. I've prophesied deep in sin before. And that had no bearing of my intimacy with Jesus. It was, it was a reflection of the gift of God working in my life because he loves his church. Uh-oh. Man, that's quiet here this morning. All right, moving on. So Samson is going through the vineyard, and then you know what happens in the vineyard? Look at verse 5. A young lion came roaring against him. Watch this. Remember, he was a Nazarite. And he's going through a vineyard. Remember, he can't touch the vine. Guess what was there? A lion. What does that mean for us today? That means this, is that the enemy will always be waiting in places you're not supposed to be. The enemy is always waiting in places you're not supposed to be. There's a lion, and he's in a vineyard. Samson's in the vineyard. He's not supposed to go around the vineyard, but the enemy is waiting. Yet he has the power of God to take him out. I mean, he has the power of God not just to take him out, but the scripture says he rent him as he would have rent a kid. That means he ripped him with his bare arms because the power and the presence of Jesus was upon his life, but he took it for granted. So he goes through, he goes down, he gets this woman with his parents, and he comes back to the carcass of the lion. So we have compromise one, he's in the vineyard. And then we have compromise two, he comes back through the vineyard. And then he comes back through the vineyard a second time and he sees the carcass of the lion. Remember the Nazarite vow? You can't go near the vine, you can't cut your hair, and you can't what? You can't touch the dead thing. What is he doing taking honey out of the carcass of a lion. And then it hit me. Sin, compromise, seems so much sweeter the second time around. If I had to title this sermon, it would be called The Honey Abides in Death. Listen, the deception of the enemy is you can go back, it's not going to kill you. You can go back and you can flirt around with sin. You can go back and you can compromise for a little bit because you have power. Remember, you've been delivered from it before. You can be delivered from her again. Or how about this one? You can just ask Jesus to forgive you and it's all good. No, that's common. He goes back through and he takes the honey out of the carcass of the lion and he partakes of it. And then it just doesn't end there. What does he do with the honey? He takes some and he gives some to his parents. His parents were Nazarites too. They were from the tribe of Dan. 
You know what that says? That says this, that your compromises will affect other people than just yourself. Oh, let me talk to the teenagers a little bit because your boy used to be a youth pastor. Huh? (laughs) Come on. So let's just take it where the honey is not just something that made from the bees, but the honey is a honey. You feel me? A honey. So Samson takes the honey and then he presents it to his parents. You know, the scripture says, watch this. It says his parents didn't know where he got it from. Come on, listen, your boy used to be crazy back in the day. I would bring girls home to my parents, and I didn't tell my parents where I had found her. My mom would have slapped me if I said I found her at the club or the bar. She wouldn't have slapped me if she said, no, she ain't coming in my house. But see, I didn't tell them. Why? Because when you're in compromise, you deceive not just yourself, you deceive other people around you. You don't tell people the whole story. You don't tell them, come on, uh, girls, you ain't off the hook either. You're honey. You call your husband honey too. You call your boyfriend honey. You didn't tell your mama where you got him either. If you told them the whole story, then they wouldn't co-sign with that illegitimate relationship. And listen, let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. Let me get on my soapbox. Let me preach a little bit. We don't date in the kingdom of God. You know what dating is? It's practicing for divorce. We fast, we pray, we look at the person and God, there's something that won't leave us about that person. And you fast and you pray, you bring that relationship before the Lord. And then when God says, yes, she it, you got a green light. Then you know what? You court them. You have accountability and you take her through all four seasons of the year. Because why do you do that? Because you need to see what you're getting in bed with when you cut covenant with that person. Because let me tell you something. When the squeezing of life hits... You need to see what comes out of that person. That's why you don't just get married overnight. That's why you have to see someone and walk through conflict and walk through crisis. It's because when life squeezes them, you have to take a step back and say, am I willing to deal with that or not? Samson just went down into the enemy's camp and he got a Philistine girl and he compromised three times to go get her. And see, this, is, this story is loaded with revelation. This story is loaded with truth for us today. Not just as teenagers, but for adults. This shows that little compromises will take us straight into the lap of the enemy. And we will be so tired and worn out through compromising that we will literally put our head on the lap of the enemy and we will say, just take me on, I'm tired. You know when the enemy attacks me is when I'm tired from ministry. When Elijah was dealing with Jezebel, he had just slain 850 prophets of Baal. And then one voice of a woman sent him to the caves and literally divorced him from his ministry. Because he was tired from that moment. Samson was tired from killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And isn't it interesting, you can read about this in chapter 15, I see preachers dance and shout and say, God will give you a victory and he will anoint you just as Samson was anointed when he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and we cheer and we shout, but you know what? It was an 
illegitimate victory because it was a jawbone, it was a dead thing. And I wonder how many things we do in ministry and we get the applause of the church, we get the applause of men, but heaven is silent over it because the method is illegal. It was a jawbone. He was a Nazarite. If God says don't touch it, we don't touch it. I don't care what results it brings. I don't care what finances it brings. I don't care what numbers it brings in the church. If God says, that is not for you, we don't touch it. We don't touch it. Chapter 16, let's go there. Chapter 16, let's look at verse 1. So we're here, this is a few years later. Samson is now going up to Gaza. And it's amazing how Israel is dealing with Gaza today. So this is kind of interesting for today. Samson's issue is he had one eye on God and one eye on Gaza. He had one guy on, one eye on God and one eye on compromise. He lived his life on the fence with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. And God still anointed him. Verse 1, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Hopefully I don't have to explain what that means. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come in here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. I have no idea of the revelation behind this text. I just thought it was amazing to read. This, this dude literally brought the gates of the city all the way to Hebron. Okay, now this is what I really wanted to read. Verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Say Sorek. You know what that means in Hebrew? He loved a woman who was in the valley of the vine. Sorek means vine. It means vineyard. You think this dude would get a clue, but he just keeps flirting with compromise. So now we read about Delilah. And what's interesting is, you guys, not one place in Scripture does it say that Delilah was a promiscuous woman or a prostitute. But we do know one thing, is that she was working for the enemy. She wasn't like Jezebel, and she didn't have a past like scholars believe possibly Mary Magdalene had, but she was still working for the enemy. So she was working for the enemy, verse 5, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him, and find out where his great strength lies. And by what it means we may have to overpower him. That we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So you see how she's working for the enemy here. The Philistines are in his ear. But notice verse 4 again. Just, just look at it one more time because I want to show you this one word. It says, afterward it happened that he loved. Everyone say loved. Watch this. The Bible says that Samson loved Delilah, but it never says that Delilah loved Samson. What does that mean? It means your idols will never love you back. 
Your idols will never love you back. What is an idol? It's the thing that you think about more than God. It's the thing that you're obsessed with. It's the thing that is in your checkbook and on the tabulation of your month's thing, the thing that you're spending all your money on, and God is telling you to quit doing that, but you keep doing that. It's the thing that you were convicted of. It's the thing that you cannot get over. It's the thing that not only you were grabbing hold of, but it's grabbing hold of you. And if you want to look at an interesting text, I don't have time this morning, but Ezekiel chapter 14 talks about idols of leaders. And God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, Prophet, tell the leaders of Israel that they always behold the iniquity and the stumbling block of their idols before thy face. What that means is literally they were looking at their idols, and that is the only thing they can think think about. And this is the life of Samson. He can't get these idols out of his mind and his main idol watch this was women but the root of it was himself if i had something that you loved in your hands and you got delivered from that thing in my hands the issue then is not what's in my hand the issue is in what's in your heart because if your heart doesn't want it it doesn't matter what is put in front of your face do you see this if your your heart's the true idol It's what you want. It's what you love. That's why the Bible says in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. And then it goes through a list of indictments and sins. Because the first idol that's got to die is you. And then if you die, what happens is then the things that you love to do begin to die. That's why the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other idols before you. It's talking about you. Keep going. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, and for time's sake, listen, he goes through this crazy explanation. He's playing, he's taunting her. And like, I I read this stuff where he's like, you bind me with seven ropes. No, you bind me with seven new ropes. Okay, then you braid my hair. And I'm like, you read this stuff. And I'm like, is Samson stupid? Like, he's just playing with Delilah, and he's just saying, if you bind me, that's going to take my strength. And then, then, like, the Philistines are in the closet, and the Philistines run out. He goes, oh, the Philistines are in the closet, and he takes them out. And then he gets in the same situation again and again and again, and you know what hit me? This is insanity. He's just going around the same mountain again and again and again because he can't get over himself. He's playing with the enemy. Now skip to 14. This is one of the last things that he tells her to do. So he, she wove it light, tightly with the, with the baton of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the baton and the wed from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him that his soul was vexed to death. You see this? 
he got so tired and weary from the wrong relationships that he had eventually laid down. Watch this, verse 17. Then he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and I be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that is in his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come upon us once more. For he has told me all that's in his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. So she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Keep reading. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and became a grinder in the prison. Make note of that. We are going to look at that in a few moments. However, the hair of his head began to grow. I love that. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God and they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of the land and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry, then they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison that he performed for them and they stationed him between two pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Then the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson was performing. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, justice once more. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for taking out my eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and one on the left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. I read this, and it terrifies me. Because, yes, he died with a great victory, but he died committing suicide. And I was talking to a group of precious men this last week, and we were looking at this story, and it hit me while I was talking. I said, you know what's interesting? I said, Samson did commit suicide. Now, now the theological question is, you know, what, what happens when you do that? Do you, you know, let's just say, do you go to heaven or go to hell? Well, Samson is actually mentioned in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. So if he's mentioned in the hall of faith, it only, it's, it, it only you know, I, I believe it only, I hate to use the word assumes, but that he died right with God in the last moments of his life. And I mean, Saul committed suicide and Judas committed suicide and they're not mentioned in the hall of faith. But Samson committed suicide and he's mentioned in the hall of faith. So that speaks to me. It was a heart issue. It's, it's literally the condition of his heart before he made the action. And I was talking to these young men 
and it hit me. I said, you know, when Samson killed himself, he also killed his enemy. Is that not true? But I said, you guys don't want to go out like that, do you? And then hit him. How many of us that struggle with addiction, if we overdose, we kill our enemy. We kill addiction, but we don't want to go out like that. And it hit me. I, I don't want to have great fame in ministry and go out in my last breaths of my life praying to God in a foxhole prayer. And the reason he was there, the whole reason he was in this situation is because he had lost his vision. It's because he told his enemy a secret. Isn't it amazing what happens when we tell people secrets, the wrong people secrets? Did you know Jesus was betrayed with a secret? It was where he was. It was where he was praying. And literally Samson was betrayed with a secret. And when he was taken outside into the Philistines, they took out his eyes. Everyone say eyes. You know what that speaks to me? Is the enemy wants to steal your vision. He's after your vision. That's not talking about your natural vision. That's talking about the vision for your life. Because when you are in deep compromise, when you are in deep issues, when you're struggling with something that you cannot get over, isn't it not also true that you're not thinking about your purpose, you're not thinking about your future, and if you are, you're probably thinking about what you're not doing for God. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take the vision away for your life. And see, it says, this is really interesting, it says in this chapter that he was taken to the prison and he was grinding in the prison. And see, it could actually be two different things that were happening here. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit off, but I got, I got some rabbis and some literature I've, I've read. But I've always heard that he was in the prison and he was grinding grain. So he was going around in motions in the territory of the enemy. When we're captive by the enemy, isn't it amazing how we say, well, I've been here before. 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 Why? We're doing the same thing we've always been doing. It's called compromise. It's the same thing that the children of Israel were doing. They were walking around the mountain again and again and again. And it's the same thing Samson was doing. He was grinding grain blind with no vision, with no power in the camp of the enemy until his hair began to grow. But you want to know what some scholars believe was happening here? They say, no, he wasn't actually grinding grain in the jail. It says the word grinding actually means concubine. Watch this. He said, the Philistines saw this man with great strength. And they took him and they wanted him to literally impregnate a massive amount of women so they could strengthen their army. Isn't it, it's terrible and it's terrifying that Samson's issue was women but now he was left in a jail with no sight, being forced to do that day and night, day and night, day and night. And the anointing 
that caused him to have great victories for the nation of Israel, but with a compromise for women and immorality, now he was left in the enemy's territory, in a jail, in a prison, being forced to impregnate Philistine women to build their army, and then it hit me. Watch this. The enemy is not just after your vision. The enemy is after your seed. What? The word of God has no genealogy for Samson's life. There's no children that he sired to the nation of Israel. But scholars believe he had a lot of children he sired for the enemy. The enemy is after your seed. What does this mean? He's after your children. He's after your children. Fathers and mothers, it's not just about you. It's about your children. It's about your house. It's about what you let into your house. It's about the open doors of compromise into your children's life. It's about the iniquity that you're dealing with in your personal life. It's going to be multiplied in your children's life. And you wonder, you say, well, well why, why am I still struggling with this thing that maybe my father dealt with and my grandfather felt, uh, dealt with? You know what scripture says? It says he visits the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. It says he, he comes with mercy. You know what that means? It literally means that God, he knocks on the tablets of your heart, fathers. He comes and knocks on the tablets of your heart, mothers. And he says this, he says, do you want it to die with you? Because this is the thing, either you will kill your issue or your issue will kill your children. Either you, whether you know it or not, you're discipling your children. You're either discipling your children for Jesus or you're discipling your children for the enemy. Talk to Samson about that. He was forced to bear children for the enemy because he could not get over his appetites. He could not get over the things that pleased him the most. And yes, I believe he died right with God, but I don't want to go out like that. I don't want to go out in a foxhole prayer where I have to posture my heart in this last moment because I want to avenge myself from my eyes. No, 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 no. We need to look at this story. We need to look at this historical truth. And we need to say, you know what? This is written for one reason. This is written so we can learn from his mistakes. That's true wisdom. Is when you don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to make mistakes and then repent and say, God, okay, I've learned from my mistakes. No, 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 no. You look at his mistakes and you look at my mistakes and you look at your parents' mistakes and you look at your grandparents' mistakes and you look at the people that God has put in your life intentionally and say, I'm going to learn from their mistakes. That's true wisdom. So how many of you guys want your children to grow up in the strength and the posterity of the Lord because you made the decision now and this time of your life to say no to what pleases you and say yes for the future prosperity of the next generation. You guys want that? Come on. You guys stand up. You guys stand up for me.
So when you look at these points, you can say, oh my gosh. I feel like most of these had like a, a negative bend to it. And, and, and this is the thing, like, if, if Samson's story was positive and full of success in the economy of heaven's perspective, then we could learn of all the points of what to do. But because his life is littered with compromise and failure, we mention it and we look at it and we learn from it. So as modern Nazarites that make a vow to Jesus Christ in your life today, how do you carry yourself? What do you go around? Do you go around things that kill you, that can't give you life? What do you put in your body that's affecting you and maybe addicting you and hurting you? See, you say, well, this Nazarite vow is ancient. Man, I'm telling you, it has so much truth in it. It's how you carry yourself, what you go around, what you put into yourself, how you represent the person of Jesus in this world. This right here, even though it's an Old Testament story, it's full of a New Testament lifestyle of what not to do and what direction not to go and of what things you need to guard yourself from. See, we are in a culture and we are in a world and we are in a nation that literally we hear, you only live once, YOLO. You only live once. And we hear, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna look out for number one. And you know what that is? That is, I'm gonna do what pleases me. I'm gonna do what pleases me in the moment because I'm more concerned with the instant gratification of Matt Johnson than the future generations. And that mentality's gotta die if we wanna see revival in our country. True revival doesn't last for five years or 10 years or 15 years. True revival is something we give our children to steward for themselves. Do you know who the greatest disciples in America are right now? It's not me. It's not Pastor Tom. It's, it's not Pastor Dan. It's homeschool moms. It's homeschool moms that spend all day with their children, raising them up in the word of God and imparting truth into them and making them warriors for Jesus Christ. So men of God, I ask you this question. This morning, we all have Samson in us. We all have Samson in us. We all have the tendency to please ourselves. I'm not talking about the gross immoral sins of running out on your wife. I'm not talking about probably statistically 60 minutes in here are addicted to pornography. I'm just talking about when you put yourself before your family. I'm talking about would you rather come home and sit on your couch and watch TV than go out and play football with your child who's begging to spend time with you. I'm talking about the small compromises that we deem as small, but they make a lasting impression on your child. And later in life, he grows up or she grows up thinking that Yahweh is detached because daddy in the home was detached. I'm talking about those compromises. I'm talking about those things that we say, I'm just gonna do what pleases me. Listen, if we wanna see true change in our nation, it starts at home. 
And if we want to see true change in our home, it starts with the father. It starts with the head. It starts with the mom saying, you know, I'll, I'll follow that. Men of God, if you're wondering why there's such division in your home and you're wondering why your wife is broken, that's on you, bro. It, the Bible says that the woman is the image of the husband, the image of man, meaning if her reflection is broken, it means you as the mirror are broken. So I ask you this morning, if you want to come up higher, if you want to come up higher, if you want to leave a future generation for your children and you don't want to fall into the same pattern of mistakes, I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care how much you prophesy. I don't care how articulate you are in the word of knowledge. I don't care if you can preach the paint off the walls. Are you producing children for the enemy or are you producing children for the kingdom of God? Look at the life of Samson. No genealogy detected in his bloodline. But I guarantee you, if you looked at the books of the Philistines, you might see hundreds. What a terrible way to impart the anointing of God is because you couldn't stop pleasing yourself. So everybody lift up your hands before the Lord. So Father, I pray that you would do something mighty. Father, I pray that you would do something convicting. Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus, that if there's anything that I said that it's not according to your word, Father, I pray that it would die from our consciousness. I pray that, Father, it would be seared from our mentality, our thinking. Father, I pray that the fathers in this room would come higher. Father, I pray that day, today would be a line of demarcation where we step up, not just for our own home, but for the future homes of our generation, God. Father, I pray for this church, New Hope Church, God, corporately as a body. I pray that we would have men in here that would step up and say, you know what, I'm not going to do what pleases me. I'm going to do for what is beneficial to my generations coming through my loins. Father, I pray that there would be a revival of families, God. I pray that we would go back to the Genesis, God, where before the church was instituted, God, God put a family in a garden, and he said, cultivate that, cultivate that. So, Father, I pray that we would cultivate our families more than anything else. Father, I pray that we wouldn't make success a God. I pray that we wouldn't make ministry a God. Father, I pray that we would put that on the altar of sacrifice and crucify that thing. And I pray that we would exalt our marriage up before you, the living God, before the living Jesus, and say, make us as the groom and make our bride as the bride without spot or wrinkle. Father, I pray we learn from the mistakes of those that have gone before us. Father, I pray that we would not repeat this, the mistakes of our forefathers in the scriptures, but Father, I pray that we would be quickened by the word and pierced by the word, Father, and I pray that no matter how high of a mountaintop experience we have in this room, maybe at this moment, God, I pray that it's how straight we walk when we come back down. Father, I pray it's how straight we walk before culture, Lord, how straight we walk for, before people that need the testimony of family and, and non-compromising that we choose in our lives, God. Father, I pray that we would take our place as the church in this community. I pray that we would take our place in our home as fathers. And mothers, I pray that you would give them a burning passion, no matter how hard it is, God, to know that what they're doing at home matters, that what they're doing at home matters, even though they look 
they feel looked over and unseen that there's a God that sees them and there is going to be a memorial in heaven for the tears of the mothers that that tear, tears of revival over the children that said yes to six and seven hour days of imparting not just scholastic endeavors into them God but father that would weep over them in tears of revival what you do matters mothers I just feel that what you're doing at home matters listen I know you feel unseen God sees it I'm seeing it beginning to see it what you what you're doing matters church let's go higher this morning let's go higher this morning can everyone say hallelujah come on Woo. thank you for joining us for the new hope sermon of the week for more information about this podcast or other resources visit newhopeonline.com